0: Welcome to the Cabramatta Vineyard Church podcast. We are a missional community in southwestern Sydney that desires to be a preview community of God's generous rule and reign. For more information, check out cabramattavineyard.org.au. Good morning. Um, I would prefer to use the language of retirement. Uh, rather than resignation. Sorry. Like it came out. <laughs> they began uh, pastoral ministry or paid pastoral ministry in Vancouver in 1992. So 30 years in ministry is not a bad state. Uh Now, I don't believe that we retire from ministry, uh, but I am retiring from pastoral leadership. <coughs> um, having handed over to Glenn and Alicia for uh, an extended period of leave, doesn't seem to make much sense to take it back, um, so here we are. But we're also on the home stretch in the book of Revelation, and this morning we're going to look at chapters 15 and 16. Uh, The reason for that is because chapter 15 is quite short and the two kind of go together. So they got broken up by whoever put the numbers in, uh, but they belong together. So Gordon Fee writes that this chapter is an overture to the final judgment, which will take place when the seven angels with the seven plagues come out of the heavenly temple. This judgment will be the culmination of God's work of redemption and will result in the destruction of evil and the establishment of God's kingdom. So we'll see how my voice uh, holds up. I've been crook all week. Um, Doing my best not to be crook this next week because I would like to make it to Melbourne uh, next weekend. So John writes, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Now you remember last time uh, when we left the book of Revelation, there was blood in the streets. Um, Quite a lot of blood, in fact. Uh, God had gathered in a harvest of the wicked and rebellious and thrown them into the winepress of his wrath. And the blood flowed out of the winepress up to a horse's shoulders uh, for about 150 k's so that's a fair amount of blood (laughs) and so john looks away from the blood and he sees another sign in heaven seven angels with seven plagues which are the last for with them the wrath of god is finished And then I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in the hand and they sang the song of Moses and the servant of God, uh, sorry, Moses, the servant of God and the song of the lamb. So, Though this chapter is about the outpouring of God's wrath, the context, as usual in the Revelation, is worship. Uh, because worship is the place from which the people of God are meant to uh, go into life and into battle. So this chapter is pivotal in the vision because it sets up the final judgment which will enfold over Chapters 17 through uh, 20. So Wright uh, comments, the scene is one of worship, with the people of God singing and giving praise uh, to the one who is about to bring his work of justice to its conclusion. The scene shows that worship is not an escape from the world, but the way in which the people of God are given vision and energy to go into it. So John looks and he sees the people of God gathered in worship on the Crystal Sea or before the Crystal Sea, which is now glowing red uh, with fire. We're not given explanations as to what these things are, nor should we really look for explanations of the details. This is a its picture language. It's con- conjuring up a picture And they're carrying the harps of God and they sing a song which we as vineyard people uh, will recognise from Kevin Prosh uh, in the early 90s, one of the great vineyard worship songs, King of Saints. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the Nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord? And glorify your name for you alone are holy all the nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed now this is interesting because we worship God for lots of things but God also gets the blame for lots of things Uh, and When things go wrong, that's when people, even pagan people, are likely to think of God and blame him for whatever went wrong. So we are living in a time of increasing calamity, Uh, bushfires, we swing between drought and bushfires and floods and storms. And these things are called by insurance companies acts of God. As if God's to blame. But what this song is saying is that a time is coming when the nations will gather to worship God. And the reason they gather to worship God is because God's judgments will be revealed and they will recognize that his judgments are just, that every decision God makes is the right decision and is the best decision. All right, now I often spend my Saturday nights at football games watching Tim play, and there are many times when I question the justice of the judgment of the man with the whistle, especially being a referee myself and understanding the laws of the game. It's quite common for me to look at their decisions and to form a contrary view. (laughs) That's not what... Sorry? Eternally, right? Uh, Sometimes it can be quite vocal. It is a football (laughs) game after all. (laughs) Um, I will also commend the referees when they get it right. Sadly, with the officials at Tim's Games, that's not very often. Now, that's not what will happen on this occasion Because what's going to happen here is that the nations will turn to worship God because they recognise that his judgments are just. Now, as is his habit, before John describes what's in the bowls of God's wrath, he sets the scene, he describes the angels who are carrying the bowls. So he says, after this I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. So this is recalling uh, the high priest. Um, And one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels Seven golden bowls full of wrath, full of the wrath of God. Now, the word used for bowls throughout here is the same word used in the Greek Old Testament for the, for the holy um, uh, crockery or the golden bowls that were used in worship in the temple. Um, and so this is, these bowls are coming out of the temple But what they're full of is God's wrath. Now, as Western people, we are quite uncomfortable with the idea of wrath. We're happy for God to be merciful. We're happy for him to be kind. We like his gentleness. We love the idea that he loves us. But we're very uncomfortable with the idea of God having wrath and anger but wrath is actually a consequence of God being holy wrath is a necessary facet of God's character because the world has been messed up by rebellion from Satan first and then from humans now wrath God's wrath is not like our anger right? there are lots of things that are, are likely to trigger my anger And often my anger is not righteous. But God's wrath is part of his righteousness. It's because God is righteous that he is implacably opposed to everything that messes up his world and stops his creatures from coming and worshipping him. The great exposition of God's wrath is found in Romans chapter 1, where Paul starts his argument saying that the wrath of God is revealed against all of the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men because they have suppressed the truth. They should have known who God is because he's revealed himself, but they suppress that truth and therefore God's wrath comes against that. Now, God's wrath is normally expressed in two ways. In Romans 1, God's wrath is expressed by him taking his hand off and giving people over to the consequences of their behaviour. So God's wrath comes in, in him allowing sin to run its course. Right? And that's what happens here with the first four bowls. Um, which parallel the first uh, four trumpets um, that what's happening is that the elements are being poured out against the humans and this is a consequence of uh, God just allowing nature to take its course God allowing sin to have its consequences and for humans to experience their consequences So if we read the first four bowls, we see... (coughs) Sorry. Um, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. This is the start of chapter 16. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, And harmful, painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. So the first plague is against those who a couple of chapters back, you'll remember that the Christians were were going to get hammered if they didn't take the mark of the beast. Now we discover that all of those who accepted the mark of the beast now experienced this first plague, which is these horrible uh, weeping infectious sores um, coming on the people who uh, accepted the mark and submitted to the number of the beast's name. Then the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. Right. So the second plague the sea turns to blood. And then the rivers also turn to blood. So the oceans have turned to blood. Now the fresh waters turned to blood with the third plague. The rivers and the springs of water, they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments for they have been sh- for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink it's what they deserve that's pretty grim isn't it and i heard the altar saying yes lord god almighty just and true are your judgments and the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun And it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were scorched by fierce heat. And of course they responded with repentance. And Cain calling out to God. Well, no. They They cursed God. things together here. <clears throat> they did not repent and give him glory. They cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. So here we have the first four plagues and they are all natural events. right? We have disease and we have events which affect the oceans, events which which affect the rivers, events which affect the, the climate. Now, whilst it's appropriate not to think of these plagues as receiving literal fulfilment, we are currently living in a time when we are seeing the literal fulfilment of this. Right? We are living in a time when the human race is facing the consequences of us not listening to the scientists who've been telling us for 30 years uh, we should stop burning fossil fuels. If we keep pumping fossil fuels into the air, then we're going to reach a, a bunch of tipping points. Now, as a science teacher, I first came across the greenhouse effect and the idea of global warming in my first year as a teacher, back in the early 80s. And I've paid attention to this since then. Scientists have been saying since 1985, if we don't stop, things are going to get bad. And what scientists have been saying since uh, that 30, 40 years ago, we are now living in it. Increased storms, um, rain coming in, uh, big clumps causing flooding, long droughts, um, rain bands shifting uh, from where they are to um, other parts causing famine, and long dry periods leading eventually to bushfires. Right? Here in Australia, we are experiencing what John is describing here. Now, Did John have Australia in mind when he wrote this? Of course not. not. He didn't even know Australia existed. (laughs) What he's saying is that God's judgment on uh, the unrighteous will come in the form of nature rising up. But remember that humans were given stewardship of the earth. We're meant to look after the earth. It is our responsibility. So if we somehow feel responsible for the environmental degradation that we're um, experiencing, that's because we are. God put us in charge and we're meant to tend the earth. We're meant to look after the garden. So every time we elect a government that forms a pact with mining magnates and multinational companies to keep extracting fossil fuels and making profit from that. We're responsible. And what this says is there will be consequences. And the wrath of God comes in the form of him allowing us as a a people to experience the consequences of our behaviors. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of of heaven for their pain and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Now you'll notice that this time what's different to uh, the seven seals and the seven trumpets Is that with the seals and the trumpets, the judgments were partial? This is the last judgment, and the seals and and the judgments are final. And so, in the first couple of um, lots of seven, there was room made for repentance. But this last lot of seven, these people are not repenting, they're cursing God for what's happening. Uh, And it's not a third of the seas that turn to blood. It's the whole sea. It's not a third of the rivers. It's everything. So the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up. To prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, there were unclean spirits like frogs. Now, this might seem a little strange. The Euphrates? Why the Euphrates? All right, now remember that everything in these chapters is symbolic. Now, John is writing about judgment coming on Rome, but he's called Rome Babylon, right? and Babylon was protected by the Euphrates River, and the danger to the Roman Empire came from the east. Right? The, the people that the Romans feared were the Parthians, right? the nomadic tribes of Central Asia who were scattered all over the east. But, in general, they were protected because they couldn't get across the Euphrates. What this picture is saying is that God will drive up the river that's the natural barrier to the enemies so that the kings of the east can easily bring their armies and attack the city. Right? Now, he's talking about the city of Babylon, but he's really talking about Rome. Now, is he talking about an, an actual battle? Or perhaps we should read on. And so we see the unholy trinity again, the beast from the sea, or the dragon from the sea, the dragon from the land, and uh, the false prophet, right? This is the, the demonic equivalent of the trinity. And out of their mouth comes a frog, which is a lying spirit, that deceives the nations to gather together in alliance against God. And so there is a massive assembly. Um, so the demonic spirits performing signs, sorry, should have put my glasses on, that go ahead of the kings of the whole world. To assemble them for battle for the great day of God Almighty. If we read on, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go down naked and be seen exposed. Right, what the heck? Where does that come from? in the midst of the seven bowls of wrath it's like you're watching a movie and jesus is shaking you are you still with me are you still paying attention wake up i'm coming soon now remember the context of this is that the churches of asia are about to experience a really tough time they're going to get hammered by the local authorities in their towns and cities For their refusal to participate in the worship of Caesar, in the um, Caesar cult. And so John is foretelling the judgment of Rome. But in the midst of it, he reminds them, Jesus is coming soon. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. That doesn't mean that he's coming to steal stuff. That means he's coming unexpectedly. Stay awake, keep your clothes on, be ready. So the armies of the nations assemble at a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. We heard that before? We have? right. quite famous in Christian folklore. You know how many times the Bible talks about Armageddon? Yeah, just once. Only here. And yet there are whole books, series of books that have been written about Armageddon. It's about a symbol. Right. It's just a symbol. Right, now the word itself actually means the mountain of Megiddo. Now Megiddo is a real place. Uh, I think it's in Jordan. Um, It might be Israel, but I think it's in Jordan. And it's a place where a number of very important battles occurred in the ancient world. Um, But here it's just a symbol of the nations gathering their armies together against God. What's happening in the vision is that God is bringing rebellion and evil together in one place so that he can deal with it all at the one time. That's what's going on symbolically in the vision, Um, but there's lots of uh, spectacular nonsense that's been written about the Battle of Armageddon and all of the events in human history that will precede this battle. It's just nonsense. Right. What we're meant to take from this is that a day will come when God will defeat all of his enemies and we're going to get those things unfolding for us over the next couple of chapters. In chapters 17 and 18, God will deal with the evil empire, Rome, which is opposed against the people that John is writing to. Um, and then he will deal with The monsters, the dragons. And finally, God will deal with the powers that are behind the monsters, that are behind the empire. That is sin and death and Satan. (coughs) This brings us to the seventh bowl. The seventh angel pours his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. So we shouldn't think that these seven bowls have to happen before we get to chapter, seven, uh, chapter 17. Remember what we've got is a whole bunch of uh, paintings, pictures, which are all different perspectives of the same thing. So we had the seven seals, then we had the seven trumpets, now we've got the seven bowls, and they're all describing what is about to happen now from chapters 17 to to 20. Right? These things are simultaneous, they're different ways of looking at the same thing. And every time when we get to the seventh thing, it's over. It's the end. And so with the seventh bowl, the voice says it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder and a great earthquake, such as there has never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. That's quite a sentence. So, are you tempted to form uh, a compromise with Babylon, because that will make your life easier? John's saying, not a good idea. Don't do that. Hold on. It's going to get hard, but hold on, because in the end, we win. Now there's often massive earthquakes, but we shouldn't think that this is talking about a literal earthquake that's gonna split the city of Rome into three parts. Rome fell in the fifth century anyway. Not sure if there was an earthquake or not. There are a number of earthquakes in the final days, some of which um, are set in the right, but we're not talking about a specific earthquake John's readers understood that this is the way in which you talk about events which change the world. Right? We're talking about earth-shaking events in terms of things that will change everything for the people who live through them. And so there are massive tectonic changes symbolising the world order changing in response to what God is doing, but then great hailstones, about 50 kilos each, fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. (coughs) So the seven bowls of wrath are quite bleak. But they're only bleak for the people who have compromised with the empire. The people who took its mark and received the number of its name. The people of God who are meant to uh, experience hard times because of the number of the mark of the beast. They're not affected by the bowls of God's wrath. John reassures his readers that though they are about to face a great trial, judgment on the empire is certain. Stand firm, he says. Don't compromise. Persevere to the end and you'll receive your reward. So next time we will come to chapters 17 and 18, where we will read about Babylon, the great harlot, and the fall of the empire. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your uh, word that encourages us to stand firm and to not compromise, (coughs) to not give up. We pray that you'll help us to stand firm. And we pray that where we have opportunity to participate in the care of the earth, where we have a voice that we can raise against those who are acting against uh, the best future of our children and our grandchildren, that we will not flinch, that we will not stay silent, but that we will have our say and we will take our place as Earth Keepers. Jason's name.